Coffee Carmen Connection is about being human. It's about you choosing to prioritize your well-being, putting the time in to strengthen your resilience to adversity, and being part of a community that holds you accountable and offers support when the going gets tough. Our podcasts bring expert insight and real-life experiences together for you to enjoy and learn what it is that makes us human and how to work with it. Good morning, Susan. Thank you so much for joining me today on Coffee, Calm and Connection. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I think what's going to be really interesting, and I'm so inspired by you as a person, and I think people listening will be as well, is to hear about where you've come from and how you've got there. And I'm thinking, for those listening, uh, to give a bit of a background to who Susan Heaton Wright is... She works with global companies on supporting uh, teams uh, across the world uh, on communicating, public speaking, written, understanding what's going on. And, and, and I think what you do is amazing. You've done some training for us with the CII and it's, it's uh, wonderful. But where I, I think the sort of inspiring piece for you is, I know uh, in your sort of late teens, early 20s, you suffered two... Um, consecutive, huge, life-changing events, which I know um, had a significant mental impact and changed the direction, perhaps, of, of your life and, you know, will have been part and parcel of the journey that you've taken to be where you are today. And I know lots of people listening, lots of people across the world have suffered really intense trauma uh, and experiences that have defined who they are and changed the way they progress through life. And I think it's really important to, to acknowledge those events and the steps that you can take out of them. So what I really wanted to talk to you about, Susan, is I wanted to try and, by virtue of osmosis, glean some of the inspiration and the, the, the mindset that you have that's taken you from a really difficult time to a sort of global inspiring company around communication. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You know, we are going through still really challenging times, aren't we? Um, with the pandemic, with many people being impacted physically with the illness or um, that people have died around them or they've lost their jobs or there is uncertainty. And the weird thing is that when this all happened, it felt in a, in a way, it felt familiar because I'd been there before within another context because obviously I suffered a great deal mentally but I also suffered a great deal physically because I had physical life-changing um, injuries and fortunately I'm very lucky, you know, I had a spinal injury and I'm walking and everything but I'm not able to do some of the things that I'd been able to do before. Um, it could have been far worse. There are people with, have, who have far worse injuries than I had. Um, however, um, if there's anything else, anything I can say is that if you're going through hell at the moment, tomorrow is another day. And it sounds a little bit like Scarlett O'Hara. But 
the sun will come out, the sun will come up tomorrow, rather like Captain Tom said, that you've just got to take one step at a time. There is a Swahili term, pole pole, which is, you know, take things slowly. And they, it's normally, you know, like this, pole pole. And there are music around that. There are songs about pole pole. And that I have central to my core values that, that actually you will come out of it. I think that, I love that, pole pole. Pole pole. Swahili. I will send you a, a link to a, a lovely, you know, Swahili song with all of the music. Oh, please do. And I'll make sure I put it in the show notes for anybody wanting a Swahili lesson uh, and uh, a life lesson in Slowly Slowly. <laughs> so, Susan, from um, what, what I'd be really interested in is can you talk us through some of the pivotal moments in the last... 20 years where you have noted that your um, sort of inner being has not been where it needs to be and what you've done to come out of it what lessons have you learned what um, choices have you had to make well for example um, it's very interesting because 20 21 years ago I had my son and at the time I was a professional opera singer and anyone who knows about opera singing when when you are particularly when you're freelance rather than working in a company is that it's a very difficult combination to have when you've got a small baby and when you're an opera singer you are very much like an athlete so you've got to be physically and mentally in the zone and I just didn't feel that I could achieve that I always felt that I was apologizing and you know not totally on my game and so I actually I, I retired um, a couple of well that, that would have been 16 17 years ago and people were horrified my family were horrified my singing teacher everybody but it was right for me because actually sometimes you have to think about the bigger picture not just about my ambitions or what i want to achieve but how it's impacting on yourself stress wise and your family is it long term sustainable um could it be have an impact on your mental and physical health so that was one thing that is a very good example in a way how did you make that decision it must have been a difficult decision to make. What processes did you put around making the decision? Do you know, I didn't tell anybody, but I always remember that I was singing in, I think it was a child of our time, an oratorio. And it was quite a big event and everything. And I, I invited a couple of friends. I said, Would you like to come along and, and hear it? I didn't tell them. And in fact, they didn't come, which was a shame. But I think it, that I, in my mind, quietly, I prepared myself for that. But I have to say that afterwards, for a couple of years, I could not bear to listen to particular music. Wow. Do you know, the reason I ask is because this strikes a chord with me. So my um, sort of first out of university career and, and the early part of my uh 20s and early 30s was um, I was an immigration lawyer 
and I had children and realized I was not uh, I was not being fair to my children and I was not being fair to my profession and I was not being yeah. fair to myself so I wrote myself a letter um, which is how I feel what I think why I'm making the decision to leave the profession because I worried that two years down the line and lots of people said to me you're throwing something that you've worked really hard for yeah. away it sounds as though similar conversations and I worried that I'd get two years down the line and future Sarah would be bashing past Sarah for making the decision. So I wrote this letter that explained everything about why. And I was almost second guessing what future Sarah was going to come back and say to me. And what's interesting is I've never had to read that letter because it was so 100% the right move yes. for me. Yeah. But I can't say that about every choice I've made in life. Sometimes I wish I'd written a letter. <laughs> Well, I wasn't as strategic as you. I think that it was an internal thing that I was, and I didn't talk it through with anybody until I'd made the decision. And sometimes that's very me anyway. I will just go off and, you know, when I've made the decision, I will just go for it, which has been something that has always been part of my personality. But you've hit on something really, really important, that when we do have children, it's no longer exclusively about us and our ambitions and there is nothing wrong with making a decision that involves the impact of other people and this the future it might be I don't know that certainly not for me I have no no desires to be an opera singer again um, but there might be a situation that you decide actually I'd like to go back to what I was doing before because never say never. I think that's one of the fun things about life is the variety and the choice and the, the nothing's, nothing's certain, nothing. No, and I think that for any job now, um, you are, it isn't going to be a straight line. Certainly within law, I might be speaking out of turn, you are sold the idea that you progress up the lawyer ladder. If you're a, a solicitor, you become an associate and a junior partner, and that's what your focus is on. But actually, there are other ways that you can use your skills in other areas and make an impact in other parts of the world, other, you know, not mm -hmm. physically the world, um, globally, but and another area. I think you're right. And it ties back into what you said earlier about um, the sun will come out tomorrow. It's a different day, a different challenge, a different opportunity. And it's about how you are perceiving what is around you and yes. what opportunities there are. And I think that's quite an important lesson. It's certainly one that I've learned, um, learned over the years. Um, what I'm interested in is your mindset is incredible in terms of uh, positivity, um, glasses half full. I know you're wearing your rainy jumper top, which I love. <laughs> um, what, what uh, have you been through? You will, I know you've been through periods in your life where you've maybe um, gone external for help in mindset or, or, or emotion management or, or, or mental health management. 
I know you've made some decisions around leaving opera singing, perhaps other, other jobs as well. And each one of these tiny little things has brought you to where you are now. I wonder if, wonder if you can give us some more examples of sort of pivotal moments and, and what you learned from them. Do you know, one amazing thing 10 years ago was that I suddenly decided that I wanted to drive again. Now, I hadn't driven for a number of years because of the trauma of, of, of the, the two accidents. Um, but And, and I realised this looking back, what I did, but I worked it all out myself. <laughs> and I had a vision that I wanted to drive and I had to adopt the poorly poorly thing, doing little tiny steps. And I achieved it and now I drive. It has transformed my life. I recognised that there was an element of me being dependent on others to drive me to places. There was something childlike. And yes, it was caring. I can understand why. But it was me almost growing up and accepting one thing and moving forward and it was a massive thing i have a couple of friends who are psychotherapists somebody one of my dearest friends is um the professor of psychology at a university and she said she couldn't believe that i'd achieved it but it was that having that very clear vision and from a neuroscientific point of view what happens i didn't know it at the time was that having that very clear focus and vision, it silences the fear that you are having. Now, in my case, obviously, I went through, I, I have to be honest, I went through hell and back again because I was reliving lots of things. I think that for a week I didn't sleep because my, um, between, and then my second lesson, I, oh my God, I've got another one. But I got there and, I, and, and it was, little achievements such as the first time I drove on my own to the the sports centre and it was at 9am on a Sunday morning there was no one on the road <laughs> but I did it and that was massive and I remember a, 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 another dear friend of mine knew I was going through this process and she said I've got the car for you my sister's selling a car it's a blue car it's just you and so I bought it and that and that actually I had to carry on I'd got this bloody car there was no going back then and it was this little tiny cute car it was hilarious it, um and little things like the first time I went on a um on a motorway that was going to be a big thing and dual carriageway and the first time I went on the A1M it was the England Germany football match I thought no one will be on the road it was really busy but <laughs> because everyone was um, but also little things like actually getting on the motorway I, I that was a that was an anxiety for me and so I I tried to put something around it like I would get on get on actually on the motorway it probably sounds stupid because it's automatic no. and i would go yeah or i was holding on to my uh, holding on to the wheel but yeah i've got on <laughs> i think i think that's incredible so i'm reading a book at the moment and one of the um it's called solve for happy and i've told you about it before i know i bang on about it all the time uh that's because it's what i'm currently reading um and um and one of the parts in it is talking about fear and fear 
being the prohibitor to um, pretty much everything. And we touched on this in a previous conversation about the different... Um, the different versions of fear and most negative um, feelings, anxiety, panic, um, even sadness, grief can be tied to a fear of some description. Um, And one of the things that Mo Gaudat says is when you find that you are inhibited because of a negative emotion, sit with it and, and work through, what am I afraid of? Now, in your particular circumstance, you, there is a direct line Absolutely. between driving again and your uh, experiences. And, and, and at, but in life, there isn't always that direct line. No. Um, and I was really um, inspired by reading this book. And there was a couple of things that I thought about for me about, well, I always stop short at this point and I never do that. Why? I never thought of it as a fear, but why? What is it that I'm afraid of? And keep going. It's, very, it's rarely the first thing your brain provides. Keep going back, 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 back. And you, you often find it's tied to like a really intrinsic fear of rejection, fear of yeah. um, death, fear of, you know, something really, really intense. And, and then he, you know, gives some steps about how you can kind of manage that fear. Really, really interesting. Can you um, tell the listeners about the, the fear? This is the wonderful book by Tara Moore called Playing Big, which I recommend to anyone. It, it's focused on women, but I, I believe that there are many men that would would resonate with this book that we can prevent ourselves from playing bigger. And there is a whole chapter on fear. And she shares the fact that in Hebrew, there are there is more than one word for fear. And there is the word for fear, is it panang or something, but you can double check this, um, Sarah. And it's what we think of fear. And usually it's by us or what happens if I fall over? What happens if I make a fool of myself? What happens if I um, forget what I'm going to say? And it's all script writing. What if? And that's what we often do, isn't it? And then there was this other fear called Yira. And actually, this is using fear, I believe, as a power. That that fear that you have when you're going into a bigger space, perhaps you've got that project management job where it's a bigger client or you are speaking to the board for the first time or you are stepping up with your business. And that and you get this rush of adrenaline, this rush of of energy, and that can be quite fearsome, can't it? Unless you can manage it. And is that, is that ultimately, potentially, a fear of failure that then drives you further? It could so be. That same fear could manifest very differently in different types of people. The fear of failure so I won't try or the fear of failure so I will go all out, 110%. And it, it can affect different people in different ways and the same person in different ways in different scenarios. Oh, Absolutely. I think that that's really, really important. And if we get back to, to my myself, I don't like talking about me per se all the time. With my driving, I always have that fear in my back pocket. 
which is not a bad thing because you you know um there is an element a strong element of risk in driving and when you've got that fear on the periphery that can help you really focus on doing the best you can rather than perhaps you know being a bit lazy about it absolutely in my opinion I think you're 100% right. Can I um, ask a, a, another question uh, related to this sort of overcoming the fear of driving? So that was a very much an internal decision that you made and you had a vision about how that was going to be and how it was going to change your life. And that journey must have been quite difficult to get to. Were there any preceding events? And I, and I, I know you've had some... Um, some uh, support through post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, some, you've, obviously, you've got some friends that are in the, the psychotherapy field. Were there any preceding events that you think you can tie to this decision to? Do you know what? I've got this. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to challenge myself. I think it was because my parents were getting older. And we all go through the stage that we have friends that are all of a sudden having to jump in a car, go and support their parents, care for them. And I saw the future and thought, if I am prepared now, then when the time comes, I'll be able to do it. Do you know, this is, I think this is so interesting because the way I view that is you had a really strong fear born out of some horrific experiences, but your love for your parents was bigger than that. And sometimes you need a bit of an opposing thing to, to pull you out of the, the place you're in. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. But how do you cultivate that bigger thing? How, how do I... How do I, as, um, and I suppose this is the age-old question, this is all the reading and the conversations that I have, and this is what I get really excited about. How do I, who am um, in a, you know, a path way, going direction X, having made the decisions I've made to get here, but I want direction F, X to shift a little bit, but the path is so entrenched, and I, I can't find that overarching thing that makes you go, aha, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to this way. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. And so, so often we are overwhelmed by our lives. Our lives are full and we're rushing from one thing to another. Uh, and we're striving for the next win if we've got a business or, or um, we've got to go to another parent's evening and got to do all of these things. Do you know, spending a moment just thinking perhaps going for a walk and your mind can be cleared you swim like i do that is a great way you uh, certainly my mind clears and then then there are some thoughts going on does that happen with you have you reached that maybe it's not in open water because there are particular dangers there but in in the lido i can be doing my stuff and and some incredible thoughts because I freed my mind and I would say I don't know if you've ever come across The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron oh that's going to be the next book on your reading list isn't it ah uh, yes <laughs> I'll make sure it's in the show notes <laughs> tell, 
and was uh, Julia Cameron a, a very interesting woman and she wrote a book called The Artist's Way. She's also written a book called Right to Write, which is over there. I can grab it if you like. Um, and the idea is that we, our brains are stopping us from being creative. And in the first chapter, she gets everybody, encourages everybody to have morning pages. And when you wake up, you just write down, you almost brain dump at the beginning of the day, A4 paper, just write. And it's weird because what happens is that you dump all of those things you're worried about and then your, your mind is free for the day. She also encourages you to go for a walk once a week on your own, just to clear your mind. And then you can have some creative thoughts. And I suspect that those were, that it was those sorts of situations that I freed my mind and I was able to have clarity and, and work out what I needed to do. I think what you're saying is very similar to to some of the, the books and the, the theories that sort of are currently swimming around my life. And I think it comes down really to awareness. Yes. And at the moment, I think particularly the Western world, we live in our heads, which means our awareness, which is already biologically dimmed by the functions of the brain is even more so you know you're, you what you what you perceive is going on is only ever a fraction of the truth or the external world and and sort of awareness internal and awareness external are two very different things and I think it's probably important to practice both and when you have that awareness in the present moment I think that's the, the point you're talking about when you're swimming and you are in the swim all of a sudden something occurs to you and you go, oh my goodness, that's a great idea. And that's because you've just quieted that, that continual thought process that disrupts and, and muddies a lot of brain functioning. Absolutely. And, you know, particularly if you're stressed or um, anxious, we've got cortisol pumping around and that makes us anxious. And, and our brains, if we're not relaxed... Not only are we not going to learn, but we're not able to have creative thoughts or to think outside the box. I love the Buddhist saying of, um, you should, I, I might get it wrong, but the principle is you should meditate for 10 minutes a day unless you're very busy or very stressed, then you should meditate for an hour a day. Yeah. And it's, it, it, I really think it's interesting because I think that's probably what's missing from a lot of people's lives. I don't necessarily mean meditation because I don't think meditation's for everybody um, or the, the traditionally understood version of meditation. I think what meditation is about is awareness Yes. in the moment, internal, yeah. external, and, and just even taking you know, a couple of minutes a day. I've got this on my desk, which is like a little timer, which was sent to me by um, somebody I did a podcast with. And it's beautiful. When you turn it round, it's a bit like a lava lamp. Ooh. And it takes about a, a minute, two minutes. And every so often, I just turn it over. And it's my um, sort of token, I suppose, where I sort of catch sight of it. It reminds me and makes me go, just a minute of awareness here might be a good thing to do. Um, and I think that's quite an, a useful tool just to yeah, have something that is odd enough 
so that it catches your notice, but available enough so, so that it catches your notice once, twice a day and makes you go, just going to take a minute here. Yes. Now, I don't know if you've read, there's a book um, on the minds of leaders by um, Harvard Press. And they researched what leaders did. And these were global leaders, global multinational organizations on their routines and how they were able to survive very high powered jobs. And a significant number of them had meditation and mindfulness within their daily routine. That's really interesting. Do you meditate? No, I don't per se. No, but I think that I, I I probably do, but not in a in a med in a traditional meditation state. I think that when I'm swimming or going for a walk, or I'm able to switch off. Yeah, I, I've practiced that quite a lot recently, um, whereby I do a lot of walking and running and some swimming and I try really hard to be in the moment and I went for a swim. It was my first ever open water in cold water swim the other day. Um, it was 12 degrees and it was in the sea and, um, and I loved it. But the first three minutes, the pain from my fingers to my shoulders was so intense. And I tried really hard to stand and not move and be like, be mindful, be aware. It's okay. No, I was just going, oh, my God. Um, but as I got into it, I was, I was astounded by how quickly my body adapted and the pain just vanished. And I also tried to do, um, front crawl is my favorite swimming style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this a go. And, and, and the instructor was, was talking about how you should swim parallel to the beach, yeah. um, which is what I was doing. And it was fabulous. And I swam between two different cones, not cones, poles, whatever you call them. Um, and I thought, oh, this is good. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm at one with the ocean. And I was congratulating myself as I turned round to swim back, but forgot that unless I change the direction of my breathing, I'm liable just to get a mouthful of wave when I turn up to breathe. So I just ended up choking out, which was a lesson learnt, took me out of my meditative at one with the world state and put me firmly back in Sarah's head. <laughs> But it was nice while it lasted. <laughs> That's really funny. Next time, you next know, time. I, I did something mad when I was 15. You know how, I, I don't think they do it as much now, pen pals and ex exchanges, yeah? And I had my exchange with uh, a girl in Haute-Savoie in a village near Ancy. And there's Lac Ancy there. And they said to me, you know, that there is this, um, there's this race across the, across the lake. Oh, it's really good. And I said, I'd love to do it. And I'm sure they were, oh, my God, what, what do we let? Anyway, um, I, I was one of the youngest there and I just carried on swimming. And I remember the boat next to me and I was just focused. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the other side. And, um, and, and I finished it. And it, I think it was a couple of kilometres. That's incredible. That is incredible. And it's lovely. I, I often think this, and I've been guilty of it, particularly when you've got small children, um, you lose yourself a bit. Um, 
I'm not just talking about me as mum. I'm talking about mums, dads, parents. You lose yourself a bit because the juggle is so intense that actually taking the time out to go and do the swim or, or to build up the hobby is is quite difficult to do and yeah. can cause a bit of resentment. So I remember my husband's like lives and breathes rugby. Uh, and I remember um, his rugby took a back seat when we had when our, all of our kids were very young and they're still young now, but just not baby young. Um, so but now we're starting to be able to get back into that bit of us. We went for a walk the other day, just the two of us and the dog. And we were like, it's changing. The tide is changing. That little bit, there's a few of those juggles that we've just been able to put down or worry about less. Or, um, and, and so that for me, the open water swimming, he does loads of coaching. We've got a rugby business. He can now play again, bearing in mind that he's approaching 40, so probably Aww. not really. <laughs> His days might be... I will, I'm going to have to fess up. I'm a, a, a Welsh rugby fan. <gasps> oh, but if I, Neil was here... I, I actually I was going to wear my Welsh, you know, championship um, <laughs> T-shirt that I've just got. <laughs> I didn't realise I I should have done that just Next to time. warm you up. Next time. <laughs> oh, Susan, I think you're I think you're incredible. So here's my here's my question for you, right? And and I think you started. We started the podcast on this note, so it'd be a nice note to finish on as well. Um, if you were to talk, be talking to, to your younger self now or somebody in your younger self's position um, after the events that you went through during your rehabilitation, physical, and I know the mental takes a lot, lot, lot longer, what would your piece of advice be? What, what thing would you tell them that they could use to get through that period? I think, first of all... Um... I, sh I should say that that um, there is a lot more known about post-traumatic shock disorder than there was when when I first suffered it. Um, and so I would be able to say to my younger self, seek help, really keep asking, don't get fobbed off with pull yourself together because there will be people there to help you and it will get better ironically and, and this was just bizarre in january i gave a talk to my old college um, at, at university because my my university was collegiate and i was assigned a student to interview me and she had been through some life-changing um physical issues a year before we were both geographers <laughs> We both liked the same things. It was almost me speaking. To, wow. And it, when we realised it, it was like we were sisters. It, um, it, it was just bizarre. And I was able to say that to her, that you might not be able to do some of the things that you want to do. She can't play rugby anymore. That was her passion. Mm. Um, because of, of of certain things without going into details but she she has found a way around that and she's contributing in another way by coaching rugby and that, that's incredible and I'm just going to tie two things together perhaps incorrectly tell me if so <laughs> um, what you've just started there with is by saying that ask for help right 
and there's there's that saying, isn't there? Help is the hardest word to say. It probably is, closely yeah. followed by sorry. <laughs> but to ask for help is human, is okay, and is a good thing. It makes you a stronger person. And I wonder if what you've just said there is one of the things that's come out of your life experience that's led you to a business in communication. I, you know, I think that you could be right. Um, I have, we haven't discussed the fact that when I was, when I was young, I was quite quiet and told to keep, called, told to keep quiet and not show off and, and not be centre stage. Those were some of the messages as well as uh, pull yourself together, um, don't ask for help, that sort of thing. So it, things I had to push through, but also core to my business is the idea that um, we should be able to ask for help. We should have a voice to be able to um, share our opinions. And absolutely, I, I'm sure that many of your listeners will find a business that resonates with who they are and what they've been through. It would have been easy for me to choose to become a counsellor or a psychotherapist, but that didn't feel right. Mm. But what I do really, without being, um, I think that's my calling, that's my superpower. I think you're right, but I might caveat what you said with, uh, with find a life that resonates rather than a business. Yes, yes. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's business-focused, life-focused, children-focused, husband-focused, self-focused, friend-focused, whatever it is, um, being authentic with who the real you is is sort of pivotal, I think, to happiness. And I think it takes some people, myself included, I'm on that path right now, uh, quite a while to figure out who the authentic self is and what, what you want to be doing with it. Absolutely. And we are, we are sold the idea, particularly if you are training to be a professional and uh, you, you, you um, are a lawyer by trade. And we are told that, that, that actually that's what our career path should be. And actually, the, the reality is that life gets in the way and challenges, but also the way that jobs work are going to alter in the next few years with AI. Hugely. And some of those people that have invested hours and hours of training will find that their jobs are obsolete. So being able to look at a bigger picture is really important. But I also think that who you are as a person changes, who I was at yeah. 15 to 25 to 35, oh, oh. and I suspect who I'll be at 45, are very, very... No, actually, I don't think it changes. I think you peel the layers away. Yeah. And I think as you get older, your layers come off a bit more and you get closer to being okay with being who you are. And I think that actually is probably one of the life journeys that, that there is. And you kind of hope that as you get older, you kind of like who you are and you're okay with it. Yeah. Um, so, so who you decide you want to be when you're 18 and you're told this is the time to opt for your career and go and do a law degree and then do a bar vocational course and become a barrister because that's who you want to be, actually wasn't in the end who I wanted to be. And I don't think nothing. it would have served me well. 
but there's nothing wrong in the experience that you went through. No, absolutely. Because everything. Of you, and actually, there are some massive things that I'm sure you bring into your business and your life now. I mean, I, I have a teaching quality. I'm fully qualified teacher. I can actually teach any subject, apparently, up to A level. Latin, physics, apparently. I've got, I'm qualified to do all of that, which is hilarious. But, um, but you know, but actually, in some of the work that I do, because I understand about the learning process, that has been hugely helpful. I think so. And it's about life skills that you develop along the journey. And those ones that you kind of latch on to or that resonate are the ones that you kind of develop. So I think, I think probably the, the, the podcast title for today's uh, episode should be... <laughs> now's the moment where I have a brainwave and I haven't got one. Development, the life journey, um, peeling off the layers. There it is, peeling off the layers. Because don't, don't you think that if we are like an onion and obviously we are um, affected by the way we're brought up and part of that is genetic and part of it is the experiences. But, but when we do, when we step into our own lives, into our own picture, um, then, or our own stage and we've got the light on us, then we can start to be the real us. There's a really interesting um, thought process that I read about the other day, which is if you visualize life as you being the star in your very, very own movie, there can only ever be one star in your movie. But when you have an interaction with somebody else, what you have to realize is that they are nothing more than a supporting actor in your movie, but they are the star in their own. So very, very rarely are their actions intended to cause you hurt, difficulty, or uh, any kind of negativity because they are busy starring in their own role. And when you start to visualize it like that, it can drop a lot of the, 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 lay, the, the, the sort of emotional attributation. <laughs> you can drop a lot of what you attribute emotionally to somebody else's action. So... You know, if I offend you and you are looking to be offended, right, because you think that I am also a supporting role, in, uh, a lead role in your movie, it's a very different mindset to you going, oh, you're busy starring in your own and what you did here was incidental. And that allows you just to drop a lot of the hackles a little bit. Don't you think? That, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because so often, you know, weddings and things like that, there are, there's often major offence, isn't there? Because people feel that, as you say, their, their movie is the fact that they're the, um, the mother of the bride. And actually, I'm the mother of the bride, when in fact, the day is the bride's and the groom's. And the day is but very different to the bride, to the groom. To yeah. the bridesmaid, to the and everybody starring in their own version of Absolutely. that particular event, and and we should allow people to do that and not be offended. Yeah, you know it, it's okay. You didn't mean it, and actually, I'm going to continue with my movie. But what can I learn from what just happened there? So yeah, yeah so peeling off the layers and starring your own movie. There it is. Title for today's Love episode. Yeah. Susan, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation to share with us what you've learned in in your um 
in your life and I'm really grateful to have you here. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Your reviews, shares and followership is incredibly valuable to us. If you'd like to know more about our work through Coffee Karma Connection and how we can support you, please email us at hello at coffeecarmconnection.org or follow us on social media. Thank you.